Wearing Icicles by Anne Sewell Jennings on Gossamer. Rating General Audiences. The lamp is burning low upon my tabletop. Snow is softly falling. The air is still in the silence of my room. I hear your voice softly calling. If I could only have you near to breathe a sigh unto, I would be happy to just to hold the hands I love on this winter's night with you. Gordon Lightfoot. A lulling shower of frozen ivory drifted down around the outside of the rustic cabin, languidly simmering to the ground in fragments of alabaster. Each minute piece of snow was utterly unique, shaped differently as well as exquisitely, imprinted with different patterns and magnificent shapes, pirouetting like icy ballerinas. They met the blanket of snow that covered the Colorado cabin, coaxing the individual pine needles and enveloping the range with angel's wings. Fragile frost was blown onto the window, as if by cherubs. Some sort of sweet spirit whispering onto the glass. And this was the thought that finally made Dana Scully smile. Spirits breathing ice onto her windows. How deliciously Mulder-esque. She shifted her legs under the quilt, her socked feet rubbing against each other with the comfortable ease that she felt in the cabin. The temperature, the setting, the way the old-fashioned gas lamp burned on the nightstand. All of it was perfect, seasonal and festive. As she watched the late night fall of snow drift gracefully onto the ground, she sighed a little, contentedly, turning the yellowed pages in the weathered book her mother had given her upon her arrival. The pages in the old copy of Louisa May Alcott's grand young adult masterpiece, Little Women, were brittle with age and slightly rippled from once being dropped in a bathtub when she was just discovering the art of reading while bathing. But it was still highly readable. How remarkable that her mother had found Dana's childhood copy of the first classic the child had ever read, and how remarkable that it was still intact. The binding was marked from multiple readings, and most of the pages were dog-eared, but it was still the same text. The Christmas party at Lori's, Amy nearly dying in the ice hole, and of course, the tragic death of the quietest March sister. Scully remembered it all well. Scully had been doing a lot of reading since her arrival in Vale at her brother's rented cabin. Charlie and his wife had been saving up for this family get-together since their second anniversary, and this was the year when they were finally able to afford the cozy little cabin positioned between the mountain peaks. Her mother was there with her two sisters, along with Bill and Tara and little Matthew as well as Scully's uncle on her mother's side, had also shown up for the Christmas reunion. A small snowstorm had kept the family a little snowbound for the season, preventing them from visiting the ski lodge or gliding across the pond on ice skates. But the isolation and quietude was welcome for the vacationing agent. However, the alienation was not. Conversation replaced physical activity for the Scullys, and most of the family gathered in different groupings in different rooms. Whether it was relating family anecdotes while eating cheese and salami in the kitchen or sipping apple cider and discussing Navy politics in the library, everyone seemed to have something to contribute to the conversation, except Dana. Quiet observation and a healthy amount of eggnog laced with rum seemed to be her position during the holiday gatherings this year, feeling lost while the family came together. The truth was, she was saddened by the way she had been so effectively isolated from the rest of her family. She didn't know about Charlie's promotion or her Aunt Mary's remarriage, 
and such easily discussed topics were baffling to her. And some of the discussions just hurt, like how Christine and Tara exchanged child-rearing tips while giggling as though they were members of a society that Scully would never enter, or when everyone showed sympathy for Aunt Judith's benign breast tumor. Cancer and childlessness were two things that Scully still suffered from, at least emotionally, and having these things laughed about or prayed over reopened wounds she wished were healed. Yet it was much better to listen than participate. When Charlie had asked her to say a prayer over dinner, her mouth had frozen around the words. Her experience in Africa had seriously challenged her religion, and it was difficult for her to celebrate a virgin birth or any sort of miracle when she doubted its validity. Eventually, she formed her lips to take shape and breathe out a simple, uncomplicated prayer to satisfy Charlie, and Scully envied the comfort and solace that her Catholic family found in Christ. She simply did not have the same copious amounts of faith that she once held before. And she missed Mulder. Sad but true. She missed the big lug, the lanky guy who had spent Christmas with her last year inside of a haunted house filled with vengeful lovers, and then reminded her that love was not always so hurtful by giving her a kaleidoscope for Christmas. She often found his shadow wandering over the cedar walls of the cabin, wearing the beautiful green sweater over the heathered t-shirt with vivid blue jeans while creeping towards her blanketed body, smiling just for her. She yearned for the ease of conversing with him, for the instant connection and the unspoken bond that made him so familiar and understanding. She wouldn't need to explain about her dead daughter or embarrassness or any of the monsters that haunted her dreams. In other words, to not do exactly what Bill had just done. To his credit, he thought she was still sleeping when he'd been talking to Uncle Joe. Yet the pleasant aroma of brewing hazelnut coffee and her uncle's pipe tobacco, a beautiful familiar scent from her childhood, had awakened her. Happy, she walked downstairs to see her uncle, only to overhear a snippet of her older brother's conversation with him. It's understandable that Dana's so quiet around the rest of the family, Uncle Joe. Bill had been murmuring, his gruff voice disgustingly superior. She doesn't get a lot of time to herself working with the Bureau or on the X-Files. His voice lowered a notch for sheer effect. You know what she does on the X-Files, don't you? The quiet, unassuming voice of her uncle was musing and contemplative, as he answered his eldest nephew. I've heard that she does some unusual work, Joe Porter said, and she heard the melancholic and rhythmic puffing of her uncle's pipe. Aliens and monsters and psychic things. Sounds rather interesting if you ask me. It's interesting, Bill agreed, and that was surprising. Bill was interested in her work. Well, it wasn't going to be any Christmas conversation anytime soon, that was for sure. But it's also dangerous. And her partner is, he's a nut. And he's so obsessed with his work. It's killing Dana. No wonder she doesn't have any connection with the rest of us. It's like, it's like she's broken, Uncle Joe. Broken. That was all the conversation that Dana needed to hear. Quietly and subtly, Scully slipped away. The dark ruby of her silk pajamas glimmering softly in the lamplight like liquid fire as she returned to her bedroom to contemplate her brother's words, broken. The lamplight flickered slightly, and the firelight sparked over the pages, blurring the ink and obscuring the words before her eyes. A callous fingertip creased the brittle edges of the page as she turned it, and Scully realized that she had forgotten to read. She had been so caught up in her own personal reflections. 
Sighing, she placed the slender ribbon marker between the pages and rested the novel on the nightstand so that the light could twist over the velvet cover of the book. She was glad that she had decided that she wasn't broken at all. In fact, once she realized this, she achieved a sort of solitary serenity, a tranquility that covered and shielded her like a soft blanket of snow. And that helped her cope with her talkative family. When they drank hot chocolate and talked about tea recipes, she just read her book and smiled. Yet some wistful part of her still hoped for a connection. A cuckoo clock sounded out the hour of midnight for her in the background, and the chiming startled her. Christmas already? Had she really spent the majority of Christmas Eve snuggled in with a book? But her watch told her the truth. The clock was 20 minutes fast, a little ahead. Sighing, she relaxed again into her tower of pillows and cushions that supported her and closed her eyes, wondering if it would be possible to nap through Christmas until it was time to head back to Washington just in time for New Year's. Wistfully, she peered out the frosted windows to the majestic slopes that surrounded her. Massive pine needles crowned with garlands of white dotted the rise and falls and twinkling lights from other cabins glittered in the snow like merry diamonds. It was as though the stars had fallen from the sky and embedded themselves into the mountainside and now shimmered like contented sequins. Contented herself, Scully leaned her chin into the crook of her arm and nuzzled her cheek against the soft flannel Mulder's shirt, thee from him so long ago that his scent was nearly erased from the cloth. But it was still there, subtle and warm, as familiar as her uncle's pipe tobacco or her mother's monkey bread baking in the oven, a comforting rich aroma that took her back to happier times. Inhaling the fading scent of soap and sunflower seeds, Scully smiled briefly, and wondered what he was doing back in the capital. And she wondered if he was thinking about her as well. Fluttering bits of snow danced lightly from the sky to a waltz that she could not hear, but she could guess its tempo from the lilting way the snow drifted towards the ground. Frost brocaded her windows with icy silk, and it was obscuring the rest of the Colorado landscape from her eyes. Billowing smoke rose towards the sky, ascending in clouds of dark breath from the fireplace in the other room. Her family was gathered there now, attending a sort of makeshift midnight mass, and Scully had opted to sit the service out. Candles and incense burned in the other room, but she languished alone with the smell of Mulder's shirt still wafting gently to her nose. She missed him fiercely. He understood her, knew her better than anyone else in the confines of this cabin, and having him so many miles away always hurt, especially this year. In the light of their blossoming relationship and unfurling romance, it was difficult to be enthralled by so much beauty and unable to share it with anyone else. If he could only see the pale china of the lake, covered by a thick layer of ice, glistening in the moonlight so that the designs cut by a day's worth of skaters shimmered like carvings, then no words would need to be spoken. He would just smile at her maybe touch the back of one gloved hand and make one witty remark that would make her eyes glow as brightly as the frozen lake itself. But instead, she walked alone to the lake the other night and enjoyed the imagined scenario, letting that warm her more than her down jacket or her knitted hat. Rose danced across the back of her hand in a blush caress, lighting the peach knuckles, and Scully thought about Mulder alone in his apartment. 
No Christmas tree to brighten up the dim corners. No family or friends to smile at him and make up for the lack of physical holiday spirit. She wondered again if he was thinking about her, his lanky limbs strewn across the leather couch, a gentle smile on his face similar to the one touching hers. The telephone rang from the small end table, interrupting her wistful imagining, and she sighed, reaching behind her to answer it. Hello, she said, her voice a little hoarse from its prolonged silence and the dryness of the mountain climate. What luck. I get connected to the best scully on my first try. A laughing tenor voice responded, velvet rippling beneath the words in the most deliciously inviting chuckle she had heard in the past week. Mulder's grin could almost be seen across the miles of line and wire, and she shifted contentedly in the layers of quilt and blanket. That's because every other scully in the house is busy at the moment, and I was regulated to the job of telephone operator, Scully replied, her cheeks still leaning against the softness of his flannel shirt. What's up, Mulder? Absolutely nothing, he said, and I'm hurt that you assume this call is automatically business-related. We're on vacation, Scully. A well-earned vacation, if memory serves me correctly, and I hope you're enjoying yours. How's Colorado? She took a moment to glance out the window at the seemingly endless miles of the white countryside and scattered cabins, all cozily burning fires and adding smoke to the fathomless winter sky. How beautiful everything seemed, so still and silent, except for the rise and fall of Mulder's breathing in her ear. It's very beautiful, she finally murmured, a smile curling the ends of her mouth. One of the major differences is the absolute absence of light. No light from the city filters over to detract from the setting, so everything's very natural and simple. The snow, the cabins, the frost and lakes. It's all unadulterated by the rest of the world. A warm sound that could have been a sigh came from across the line and heated her body, curling her toes underneath the layers of cotton socks. Sounds beautiful, Scully, he smiled. So what have you been doing up there? Reading, she answered looking at the velvet-bound novel that rested gently on the edge of the table. Lamplight flickered over the forest green, making the embossed gold words shimmer. My mother dug my old copy of Little Women out of the attic and gave it to me for Christmas, and I've been rereading it. I haven't read it since I was 12. She wondered if he would snicker or if he would smile, but his reaction was more of a combination between the two. Never knew you were a Little Women type of girl, Scully, he said and she shrugged her shoulders. I never said it was a literary classic, but it certainly brings up some good childhood memories, she said. Her voice softened considerably, her fingers absently picking at the fraying threads around the edge of the quilt. I can certainly relate to a lot of it. When he spoke, his voice was equally soft, as gentle and subtle as it got. I think you did a little more than sell your hair, Scully, he murmured, and a rustling whisper of history murmured past her ear. She had sold more than her hair, her daughter, her life, her family, and many pieces of her own beliefs, all sold to pay for a war that she would never fully understand, and neither would he. The most simplistic parts of it were all they could comprehend, the battle for right and wrong, and more primal battle for sheer survival. Sighing, Scully leaned back and looked out the window. Slender icicles hung from the windowsills like frozen teardrops glistening in the light, radiating from the cabin and catching stray pieces of snow in their icy fingers. She chuckled into the phone, grateful for the easy conversation that she had been able to muster up with her family. 
There are icicles on the windows, Mulder, she said, a smile creeping into her voice. I remember being a kid in North Dakota, visiting my mother's family, and making icicle jewelry with Melissa. Nothing complicated, just tying strings around them and hanging them around our necks. We thought they were more beautiful than diamonds. Not to mention cheaper than diamonds, Mulder helpfully offered, and Scully chuckled, a very Mulder thing to say. Well, we were very happy with our makeshift gemstones, until we got inside, Scully said. I suppose that we forgot that ice melts, and soon all we were left with was string and wet clothing, not to mention wet floors. Mom got so mad at us until Missy told her what we were doing, and then I guess she couldn't get too upset. Her smile waned slightly, and she looked wistfully at the elegant droplets of ice clinging to the windows with frostbite fingers. We thought that they would last forever. Quiet hung between them, crossing the miles, until Scully was so painfully lonely for contact that she pressed her cheek against the phone, listening to the rhythmic sound of his breathing. Dark, impenetrable blue stained the sky, only marred by the occasional flickering of snow against the frosted window. The ice and snow that created such a lovely picture outside was only temporary. Spring would eventually come and melt everything to reveal naked, raw grass beneath and dead plants. Nothing lasts forever, Scully murmured into the telephone and Mulder's voice was quiet and contemplative when he replied. No, it doesn't, he murmured in reply. From the other room, she heard the sound of her family laughing, gathering around a fire, drinking red wine, and playing what sounded like a simple arrangement of Vivaldi on the stereo. Warm, bright violin and guitar performed a duet of strings, and Scully sighed. I used to know my family so well, Mulder, she said, playing with the too long cuff of her stolen shirt. No matter how distant the relation or how long it had been since I'd seen them, there was always a sort of connection that always sparked when I saw them again. Frustrated, she shook her head. I haven't seen Charlie in a year. Bill's uncomfortable talking to me because of what happened with... Her voice trailed, and she heard the poignant, painful pause stretch across the line. Well, he's not right anymore. And my mother just aches, she sighed again but none of them understand who I am or what I do. Maybe you don't let them understand, he suggested, and Scully frowned. He did not wait for her to question him or to ask him to elaborate. Mulder continued naturally. Scully, we've suffered an unnatural amount in our line of work. What we do has cost us some of the most precious and valuable things in our lives, and we're different people than who we started out as. But no matter who or what you are, your family loves you. No matter how unlovable or distant you think you are, they know the truth. So talk to them. Listen to them. Because even if it seems like nothing is temporary, the way someone loves you isn't. His voice softened a little until it was nothing more than a shadow above a whisper. I promise you that much, Scully. With a sigh that exhaled everything wearied or worried, Scully leaned back and sank into the pillows, stretching her arm back behind her, and smiling into the telephone receiver. The stolen flannel rubbed her skin in just the right way, so that if she were to close her eyes, she could almost feel the gentle, loving caress that he would give her if he were here right now. Thanks, Mulder, she murmured. Anytime, Scully. From somewhere inside the house, a more accurate clock chimed on the hour in a tickling of silver bells that sounded like ice beating together. 
Startled, Scully looked down at her wristwatch and smiled. It's Christmas Day, Mulder, she said. And she heard the rustling of clothing as he looked at his own clock. Mile, you're right, he said. Christmas Day. He sighed on the other end. Doesn't feel like it, though. Tilting her head to the side, Scully smiled to herself. Why not? She asked. And she could almost see him on the other end, stretched on the sofa, shrugging his shoulders, a wistful expression tilting his plush pink mouth into a yearning smile. It's gonna sound corny, Scully, but it's because you're not here. Heartache and longing seized her body with a veracity that seemed permanent, and Scully's fingers caressed the receiver as though she could comfort his skin with her touch. I'll be there in a couple of days, Mulder, she said. But it was a feeble reassurance. She wanted him there with her in Colorado, spooned on the couch and lit by the dying lamplight so that the gold would burn over their entwined bodies until they were plunged into darkness and contented silence. And all the while, the cedars and pines would waver with their icicle wind chimes and snow would dust the ground. Tell you what, Mulder, she said. Don't let it be Christmas until I get back. And when you feel it's Christmas time, just let me know and we'll celebrate together. She could tell that he warmed to the suggestion and his voice chuckled across the other line. Does that mean I have to wait to get my Christmas present, Scully? He sneezed and she snorted. Mulder, I'm over a thousand miles away from you, she said. What exactly could I give you? A snicker. You could tell me what you're wearing right now. A slow, demure, victorious grin spread over her face as Scully answered his question with complete and utter honesty. I'm wearing your shirt, Mulder, and not very much else, she said. Merry early Christmas. And before he could respond or let that sink in, Scully hung up the phone with a smile. Snow shimmered in dazzling bits of ivory outside, beating against the window with the lightness of wintry butterfly wings. Still smiling, she pushed the quilt away from her body and stepped onto the wooden floor, paddling across the room in her socked feet until she was standing at the window. The majestic rise of their mountains and their snow-covered valleys met her eyes with their alabaster splendor, and the smell of freshly cut pine and cedar met her nose. Intricate patterns of frost unfurled against the glass, and Scully looked down at the elegance with which the icicles hung. Perhaps the bleak beauty of winter was not permanent, but there were some things that never did die, and one of those things was gathered in the family room around a fire, watching orange and gold flicker and laughing over the joy they could find in life. Pressing her fingers to the frosted glass and tracing the shape of one pennant of ice, Scully smiled and turned away to join her family for their celebration of Christmas. And all the while, she dreamed of her own private holiday, still lying in wait in an apartment back in Arlington. But for now, this would be more than adequate. As Scully closed the door behind her, the small glass lamp that had illuminated her room earlier finally died, and the room slipped into a darkness pierced only by the silver of the full moon reflected upon ice and glass. The fire is dying. My lamp is growing dim. The shades of night are lifting. Morning light steals across my window pane, where webs of snow are drifting. If I could only have you near to breathe a sigh unto, I would be happy just to hold the hands I love on this winter night with you and to be once again with you. Gordon Lightfoot